This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Hey, it's Steph. Welcome to Woods and Waters Project Podcast. So happy you guys are here. This is episode number 42 and we have an awesome guest for you this week. We have Woody Orn previous Hawkeye football player, member of Whitetail Freaks TV show. He's a dad, hardcore hunter, and just overall really awesome guy. And I was so pumped to finally get him on the show. We have been talking uh, about having him on here for about a year. So I'm so excited to introduce you guys to Woody, or if you know who he is, um, you that you're here to get to know him a little bit better we had an awesome conversation and it's a good one so everybody meet woody orn let's get into it To jump in right away, Woody, would you introduce yourself for those who wouldn't have, you know, a clue who you are? Let's let's get to know you. Sure. So, uh, well, my name is Woody Horn. Um, I am from Fairfield, Iowa, which is uh, in southeast Iowa, and uh, grew up there. Went to high school there, um, and then went to uh, South Dakota State for a couple years, and then transferred back home and went to the University of Iowa. Um, and then after that, I uh, spent a couple years um, working in the Des Moines area and then moved back to Fairfield um, and have lived there ever since. So 
I, uh, I've been hunting now um, with the Whitetail Freaks team uh, for about, I don't know, seven or eight years, I think. Um, and, uh, yeah, that's just kind of a little snapshot. I'm sure we'll get into more of that later, but, uh, yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. And when I said earlier, like, people who don't have a clue who you are, I think that, like, being from Iowa and having been um, a D1 athlete, a part of the University of Iowa, uh, being a hunter, and <laughs> kind of just the areas of Iowa that you're from or, you know, are in, you were, you're Des Moines, and for people who don't know, Des Moines and University of Iowa, which is an Iowa City area, are two of the like most hev- heavily populated parts of Iowa. Um, there's not much to Iowa, but Des Moines and Iowa City is are the bigger areas. And now you being in Fairfield, uh, Iowa is known for being, a, you know, a whitetail hunting state, and you're you're in a great area for whitetails. Um, so yeah. if for people yeah. who are familiar, you're kind of a little like you're kind of a little like Iowa hero, <laughs> honestly. <laughs> I, well, if that's true, I'd say very little. But uh, no, I mean, I just I'm really fortunate to be able to to do the things that I love, and you know, being in the outdoors and and hunting and getting to enjoy that is is part of it. And yeah, you, know, you mentioned the the population and Iowa City and Des Moines being both more heavily populated um you know that's where um you know i spent some time and you know what's interesting is you know when you go up in a small town um i'm sure it's small towns everywhere but you know everybody kind of has this like i want to get out of here i want to go see the world type of attitude and uh you know for me i found that i was spending all of my time coming back you know so it was like every time I'd be home on a weekend from work, I'd come to Fairfield, you know, or if I was, if I had a short week at work, I'd go to Fairfield. And eventually it was just kind of like a, you know, why am I, why am I wasting my time living in a place that I don't even want to be, um, when I could live, you know, where I grew up and enjoy the things that I do and, you know, be able to partake in all the activities that I can around here. Yeah. And we, you know, you and I didn't have the same path by any means at all, but I relate to that a lot. Uh, I always thought I was going to get up and leave uh, Iowa and, and maybe never come back, maybe come back. Uh, I didn't venture off very far. I'm from a small town as well um, and then ended up in the Cedar Rapids, Iowa City area, uh, which is only uh, an hour from where I'm from. Um, but, you know, back then, like in college, at, you know, 17, 18, 19 years old, uh, whatever money I had for gas, I was using to go back home to be with my family, um, go hunting with my dad. Uh, it just, you know, if I had time, that's, that's how I filled my time was always going back home. And even though I still don't live back home, uh, I still get like, cause it, things are a little bit different now, obviously as you know, I'm older and there's just a lot more things and I do a lot of hunting on my own, but I do get a little homesick and that's, I can relate very much to what you're saying. Um, yeah, well, well I think, I think home's really relative too. You know, home is you know, where you feel comfortable and, and where you're able to do those things that, you know, it's just so like for you, you know, you're, you're able to hunt and you're able to be outside and, you know, do all of those things. And it's just kind of a reminder of where you grew up. But, you know, when you're out, I'm making an assumption, but like when we're outdoors and we're enjoying our passions, like that's when we're home. And, you know, when you're an adult and you've got to have a job and you got to have, you know, a source of income, like you're somewhat um, stuck in where you can, 
have a job but also be able to to do that stuff so it's always a, a balance and yeah yeah absolutely did you grow up uh hunting like your whole life or spending time in the outdoors your whole life um yeah so you know you mentioned um playing sports and and uh, both in high school and college. And, um, you know, for me, I grew up when I was a kid, I can remember going out and going hunting with my dad and, you know, doing all that stuff. But, you know, about the time, well, like when I was growing up, you know, middle school sports start to become kind of serious, but you know, anymore, like elementary school, middle school, you know, that's, that's when kids are really getting into this stuff. And, and it's just, you just kind of have to make a decision. Do you want to commit to athletics? And if you do, your early mornings are going to be spent in a weight room. Your nights are going to be spent in a gym or on a field or, you know, wherever. So, you know, for me, it was kind of one of those things where as much as I enjoyed the outdoors, I, you know, I could still go fishing. I could still do some of that stuff. But I kind of put hunting on the back burner just because I only had so many years to, you know, live out my, my passion as an athlete. And so, you know, I, I wanted to take advantage of that. And so a lot of this stuff kind of got um, – put on the back burner you know i was really big into fishing because summer was the one time of year when i didn't have a whole lot going on um but then you know i mentioned that uh, i spent a couple of years up in south dakota at south Dakota state and uh you know that's when i really kind of started to fall back in love with you know the hunting part of things i mean yeah i feel really fortunate cause like you mentioned you know fairfield and southeast Iowa in general is a is a whitetail kind of mecca um and, and so i get to enjoy that and then you know on the other side of things the pheasant hunting up in you know eastern south dakota is 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 incredible um so i got to do a lot of that and uh you know you could go out and we could have practice until a half hour before sundown and then go out and shoot a limited bird before we went home so just uh really fortunate to be able to do some of those things yeah absolutely yeah i um do you with I don't want to hop around too much because I feel like I have so many questions that pop up as people get going. Because <laughs> I have like my structure kind of of things I want to ask you, but um, yeah, don't let me take you off that. I'll no. take you down a completely different tunnel. So just <laughs> okay. keep me on track. <laughs> do, do you pri- like? Do you primarily deer hunt now with being a part of White Tail? Yeah. Race? Yeah. Yep. Yeah, and and you know a lot of it's just uh, you know the show and just kind of our approach to whitetail hunting is it's a year-round thing you know so like as we speak i'm i'm worried about if we're going to get a rain on some of these food plots i've got planted and trying to figure out a way to get some water on them in the meantime but you know whitetail hunting it really becomes a um a a year-round thing and uh so like all summer and fall and it's not just the time spent in the deer stand um now i do do a lot of uh turkey hunting when i have the opportunity um but my career and my uh, my field of work um, can make that a little bit challenging at times in the spring, but yeah. every chance I get, I try to get out and do that. Yeah. Um, I, I feel like there's so much more light on the opportunity of creating a career for yourself in the outdoor industry, like either creating it yourself, creating your own show, like content. There's so many different ways to get into that industry now. At least, at least there's more, like it's been brought to light how you can do that. Right. Like, oh, that, that was probably a hundred percent. Yeah. It was probably always there, but growing up, yeah. you know, watching hunting shows, it seemed like an impossible thing unless you had yeah. a ton of money and connections or something. Um, exactly. And 
I think it's interesting just like as I, you know, get to know people in the industry with the podcast, putting myself out there, doing different things, learning different things, just like these little, you know, these these kind of light bulb moments of like, wow, like if I really wanted to hone in on this or this or this, I could I could do something with this, you know? And I think what people don't realize, uh, good and bad of it, uh, is if you're going to, I, I think there's different ways around this, but you're focused on whitetail like deer and that's not just the season, right? I think there's so many aspects of making this a career that are both good and bad that people should think about maybe before jumping in if it's something they really want to do because uh, when it becomes a job, I'm sure it changes things or it it takes away maybe, like myself, I'm obsessed with all types of hunting. I, um, I just got back from guide school, which my most recent like podcast episode uh, is about my time in guide school and it was amazing. Uh, but even that brought a lot to light of like, okay, you want to be a guide? Well, think about what that's going to do for you, but also think about what you have to sacrifice to do that as well. Um, And I just think that's interesting. Like I've gotten a lot of uh, perspective lately on that. Yeah. Do you miss those other things or is it kind of like you're so obsessed with what you do that it kind of helps buffer that, I guess. Um, Yeah, no, I mean, I, I definitely miss that. And, you know, honestly, I think we could spend a day talking about, you know, what you just kind of threw out there because there's, there's so much misinformation, but also good information out there to help people. Um, but yeah, as, as as far as missing it, um, yeah, I mean, there's, there's things. So like just from, uh, um, from a, a deer hunting standpoint, you know, this time of year we're putting in food plots, we're putting out deer minerals, we're checking cameras, we're doing all those things where, you know, on days like that, when it's nice out and I can go do that stuff, I can't fish. You know, and it's one of those things where if I want to go fish, then that means I'm not moving towards what my ultimate goal is of, you know, the, the deer hunting thing. Um, you know, the same thing with, you know, I've got some buddies that, that were big into deer hunting and, and kind of realized that they didn't want to give up those other things. And so they've kind of drifted off of the deer hunting things and that's totally okay. But, you know, if you want to go, if you want to go duck hunting, um, you can't, if, if you're going to go out and go duck hunting in the morning, you're going to miss a morning in the stand. And if that's something that, that you want to do, that's great. But, you know, for me, um, I, I just make decisions that I'm going to give some of those things up in order to put myself in a stand or a blind as many times as I can to help me have the best chance possible of actually accomplishing my goal, which is, you know, shooting that deer that I've been chasing all summer for three years or whatever it may be. So, you know, there's definitely trade-offs and there's things you give up and, you know, we all kind of have days where it's like, man, I'd rather go do this and you know what, just go do it. (laughs) If you'd really rather go do it, go do it. Because if you don't, you're going to burn yourself out. Um, and that's ultimately, you know, with anything, you can't just have blinders on and constantly be, be going after that one thing because one of two things are going to happen. Either one, you're not going to get there and you're going to burn yourself out in the, in the meanwhile, and then all of a sudden that was all for nothing. Or two, you're going to get there, and then you're going to stop and look around and be like, well, I missed all of these other opportunities and all of these other things. So it's just like everything else. It's about finding a balance and figuring out what works for you. Yeah. I definitely would say that's like the season of life I'm in right now is uh, making yeah. some decisions to um, – 
you know, I, I am passionate about a lot. I know sometimes a lot of people um, come to me with, hey, Steph, I don't have any, I don't have any hobbies. I don't really have anything besides just like work and, you know, maybe my significant other that I enjoy doing. I feel like I need a hobby. Like, how do you, how do you find that? How do you do that? And uh, I always think that's interesting because I, I, I can usually help people through that, but I also kind of can't relate because I, I am just a hyper-passionate person about a lot of things. Um, yeah. I just know what I love, and I, I get obsessed with learning about it. The problem with that is is uh, I know a, a little about a lot of things. <laughs> so, uh, and, you know, some things are better than others. <laughs> some things more than others, yeah. you know, that I'm pretty good at. But overall, like, I, I relate to that feeling so much. I, I put, I do a lot of things that I love, and it's really hard for me to say no to them, not because I feel like I have to please anyone, but because I genuinely love it. And like, how do I choose it so I can be really great at one thing? And that is, I think, a struggle for a lot of people too. And um, sure. it's just good advice for anything in life, really. And I'm definitely there right now of having a kind of, okay, I really want to do this, but I really want to do this. I have to choose one because I can't do both or I'm going to end up half-assing them, you know? And I, I yeah, don't, yeah. don't want to do that. Well, and you, you know, you brought up a really good point with the guide school. Like you really, you wanted to go to this guide school and, you know, you really wanted to, to pursue that. And I think guiding um, in general is kind of one of those things that a lot of people see as, you know, let's just say that, you know, I'm a deer hunter. I've got deer farms and I see what um, outfitters are charging people to go deer hunt. And it's like, okay, well, man, it sure would be nice to make that much money just taking people out hunting. But the problem is, is once you, the reason you want to do that is because you enjoy hunting, you enjoy deer hunting, right? Well, now rather than deer hunting, I'm going to go spend t time taking other people out to hunt those deer that I would normally be hunting. So <laughs> you end up giving up all of that time. So you're no longer hunting, you're just guiding. Yeah. And so that's where, you know, a lot of times, you know, there's these ideas of, boy, it sure be nice to do this or it sure be nice to do that. Um, but once you have to actually sacrifice the things that you enjoy in order to do that, it becomes a, well, maybe that's not such a great idea, mm -hmm. you know? And, uh, you know, the other thing is the money that goes into it. You know, you talk about, um, at, if you just take it at face value, you know, the, the, and I use gear outfitting just because there's, there's several outfitters around us, but you look at what they charge at face value and it's like, man, that is expensive, you know, for something that I get to go out and just do for free. But then, you know, they're leasing thousands of acres. They're spending money on tractors to plant food plots. They're spending thousands on cameras and hiring people to come in and work and making you food and putting up lodging and doing all of these things. And there's just this huge capital investment that these guys make. So, yeah, they need to get some money out of it to hopefully make a career out of it. But it's not like they're getting rich off of it. Um, and I think that's kind of the a, a lot of the misperception is that, wow, these guys are, you know, there's outfitters out there that are getting rich off of hunting. That sure would be nice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I, I feel I feel like I already had some insight into that, but now I definitely feel like I do. And it's, it's more like, I think it's awesome, like the ones who decide to dedicate their time into that and do it. Like, I think that's incredible. And it is, su it is such hard work. Um, you know, uh, some of the, the guide school was, uh, whitetail related. And so we talked about like what that day looks like for the guides. And 
Um, it is like constantly, uh, you're, you're kind of, you're, you're taking care of people. That's like the main part of what you're doing yeah. too, is you're yep. not, yep. um, you have no idea who you're going to really get until you've, you know, established yourself and you don't know if they're going to follow the laws, like if they're ethical, yep. if they're going to listen to you, if they're going to respect you, even if you do everything right, sometimes there's just, right. you know, um, well, and here's the thing at the end of the day, you're, you're, what you're selling is an experience, but what they're buying is a kill, right? In their minds a lot of yes, times. Yes. And so when you're dealing with mother nature and the fact that, I mean, I spend hundreds of hours in a deer stand and at the end of the day, that deer has to mess up. It's not whether I do it or, or do anything right or not. It's whether they mess up and give me an opportunity. So you know, if, if you've got somebody that thinks that they're coming in here to, to just specifically shoot a deer and all they get out of it was, did they shoot a deer or not? There's a lot of times where they're going to go home unsatisfied, you know, versus, you know, the whole experience thing. You know, if somebody can come in, because I've been on the other end of this, you know, I, up until, you know, I've got two younger kids now, so I haven't gone for the past few years, but, you know, I went elk hunting seven or eight years in a row and, uh, you know, I did some of it guided, some of it unguided, and there were some of my, my more favorite hunts were hunts where I didn't actually kill anything, even though I paid a lot of money for a guide, I had a great experience. You know, they took the time to teach me about elk hunting. They took the time to show me, you know, the lay of the land and why we were doing this. We had great food. We laughed. We had, so like, I went on a week-long vacation and had an opportunity to maybe shoot something, you know, so it's those experiences where people are going to get something out of it, regardless of whether they shoot an animal or not. Yeah. Um, but if you don't have that, then it's like, well, I didn't really get anything out of that. Place. Yeah. I definitely think it's all about mindset too, because if you're somebody who exactly like you said, if, if you're going anywhere on a hunt guided or not with just, I mean, at the end of the day, you, you want to have a successful hunt and like get the animal that you're, you know, targeting, right? Like that, you want that, like that's, sure. everybody wants that. Yeah. Um, but I think if you just go in thinking that is the only thing that makes it successful and worth it, it, I think you'll just, hunting will lose its luster for you fast down the road. Absolutely. Um, I, well, it, I, I tell people that for deer hunting all the time, you know, and that's not even like, that's not guiding or anything, but like just deer hunting in general. If you only get satisfaction out of shooting the deer, you're setting yourself up for a lot of disappointment because there's, even if you do, even if, let's just say that I'm a, a seasonal hunter, right? So I don't do any of the off-season stuff. I just pick up a bow or a gun when season's open and go out to the woods. I'm going to hunt 10, 20, 30 times before I have that opportunity to shoot something. Mm -hmm. Every one of those times is going to be a disappointment and a failure if all I'm measuring is did I shoot something or not. So, like, you have to be able to enjoy the process and enjoy being in nature and enjoy, you know, the things that you see. Otherwise you're going to hate it, you know? Mm -hmm. So yeah. <laughs> TV ruins a lot of, a lot of hunters, I think. <laughs> yeah, I think so too. I think so too. I, I've met, I've had some really cool conversations on and off the podcast about that for, um, I have some listeners that have reached out and talked to me about this, about how they used to only really view it as if I didn't, you know, kill something like I suck and I hate it, you know? 
Um, yeah. And, and and then they just had this like aha moment of like, oh, like no, actually, I you know they got way more into shooting their bow or got way more into yeah. foraging or paying attention to the birds and the trees around them or got better at scouting and really started to like own their, you know, part of the craft of hunting more and became better woodsmen. And I love those stories of people like, cause I, I kind of was like that too. Um, I've always yeah. loved it, but I, growing up in Iowa, um, in the deer hunting, I was around, I mean, at the end of the day, everyone just was like, congrats on like your deer, whatever size it was. But there was a lot of yeah. like, um, you just felt like you had to shoot a certain kind of deer to have a successful hunt. So just don't even, sh- don't even Absolutely. pull the trigger on one that isn't a 150 or better. Um, yep. or even higher sometimes. Uh, so then you well, felt like a few deer. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. I, no. I, I don't want to interrupt. No, you're good. You're I good. do because I am, but, <laughs> 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 um, <laughs> no, but I mean, that, that's such a, that's such a, 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 real, a good point though, you know, because, I've gotten to like my, where I'm at with hunting over a lot of years. Right. So like, I think that sometimes too, like if people hear this and hear this conversation, like it don't hear this and be like, wow, I don't really think about hunting like that. So maybe hunting isn't for me because there's an evolution to it and there's a process to it, you know? And, and you just hit the nail on the head when, you know, when, when we started, it was about shooting X, you know, for me, it was like, I mean, I'm not going to be around the bush. Like I wanted to shoot a deer that was big enough to mount. Like that was my goal. Right. And then I did that and it was like, okay, that was cool. But you kind of have this empty feeling like surely that's not it. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's what kind of drove me to, okay, well, what else can I be passionate about? You know, can I, can I have a healthier deer herd? Can I have more deer on my property? Can I, you know, can I do all of these things? So like, you know, I, uh, I told you I'd take you off on a tangent, but, it's okay. um, shotgun hunting, right? Mm-hmm. Shotgun hunting is a, is a huge debate around Iowa because you've kind of got the old school mentality of, Hey, let's get in a big group and let's drive everything and, you know, shoot all the deer that run. And then you've got what I'd call like the new school, maybe for lack of better terms, TV crowd. That's like, Hey, you can't shoot a, two-year-old deer you can't shoot 140 inch eight like you can't do this you can't do that and there's a lot of clashing um but ultimately there's there's really a combination of both and i bring that up because you know i do both so like i bow hunt and i i muzzleloader hunt you know with with uh you know tyler and spencer the guys that um that i film with but i also take a week out of the year and i go shotgun hunting with with some very close i'd consider them family and it's all about the camaraderie and the food and, you know, shooting does and, you know, messing up and shooting a deer you shouldn't. But, you know, I'm not going to shoot a big buck when I go shotgun hunting. So, like, there could be a 200-inch deer that runs out in front of me, and I won't shoot it for the simple fact that that's not what brings me joy. And I know that somebody else, you know, maybe down the line, 20 yards from me, they would love to have an opportunity to that. So, like, I'll let that go. So, it's not about the deer or the size anymore, but we all have to start somewhere and it's about how you get there and, and whether you get there or not. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I, I, I love that. And I'm just like listening and nodding over here the whole time. And I'm going to totally skip ahead of something I was going to ask you later in the interview. 
Um, but I feel like we're just like going that direction already. So this is kind of a loaded question, so you can answer it however, however you see fit. Um, just with your experience, like growing up doing it and being part of the industry and being on TV and you know, I think you have a lot of perspective. Uh, where do you feel like the hundred, like, where do you see the hunting industry going both, you know, bad and good? Um, where, where do you think it's heading? Uh, do you think it's in the positive direction or do you have any like hopes or fears for that? <laughs> oh boy. You, yeah. Loaded question for sure. Um, let's, <laughs> let's break this down. Okay. okay. Perfect. Um, so let's just start out with like the hunting gen- industry in general and where it's going. I think, um, you brought up a good point earlier and, and I was going to say something about it, but we kind of went off, but like, you talk about the barriers to entry. So like when I was a kid and I turned on the hunting channel on Saturday morning or, you know, Sunday morning and watched TV, you had the Drury's, you had, um, Don Kiske, you had, um, you know, these guys that were out there that had thousands of dollars in camera equipment. They had paid people filming them. You know, they, they had money invested in, in producing this show. Um, it was a business, but there was also a huge barrier to entry, right? Now, flash forward to right now, even, you know, seven or eight years ago when I got into it, you had to buy a, you know, a three or a $5,000 camera in order to produce the type of quality film that you need to put on TV. There's stuff that I film with my iPhone that ends up on TV. There's stuff that I film with a GoPro that ends up on TV. So, like, the whole camera thing is no longer a barrier to entry. Everybody's got a camera. Everybody can film everything. So all of a sudden now it becomes, okay, everybody has the opportunity to put out content. So that's a good thing. But what you end up with is a a watered down market of, of product basically. And that's not to say that, you know, what the, um, everything's bad. It's just, you know, every individual viewer has to be able to go through and watch a bunch of stuff and figure out what they can relate to and what they enjoy and, um, certain things like that. But I guess that's where I would say, you know, as far as like kind of setting the climate for, uh, the outdoor industry right now and filming in particular, um, there's a lot of people with cameras. It's no longer a matter of just capturing a big deer or a great pheasant hunt or a 12 pound bass on film, because that's not what's going to get it done. Um, so that'd be the first part. Um, and then as far as like, you know, do I think it's a positive or a negative? I think it's just like anything else. I think um, there are certainly positives that come from it. I think, uh, and, and I've met a few of these people um, and, and gotten to spend some time with them, but there's a lot of people that their first interaction with hunting is what they see on TV, right? So they didn't grow up on a farm. They didn't grow up with a, a parent that hunted. They just, they saw it on TV and they thought, oh, that's kind of cool. I want to go try that. So I think that's a positive. Um, and I think, you know, the, the flip side of that, the negative of it is I think is anybody that's going to put out content on TV or on social media or whatever platform it is. Um, I think, you know, we have a responsibility to make sure that the right message comes across. Um, because we don't want to make it about, Hey, it's about this size of a deer or it's about catching, you know, X amount of bass or it's about shooting X pheasants. Um, I think we have to make sure that we stay, you know, loyal to the fact that it's about the process and it's about 
enjoying the outdoors and it's about giving back to the outdoors. Um, you know, you, when you're, when you're planting food plots, when you're improving the habitat, when you're doing all these things, there's hundreds of deer that are benefiting from that. And yeah, you're going to shoot one of them, but all those other deer get something out of it. So you really have to, I think it's, it's our responsibility to, uh, pass on the message of, of land stewardship and, you know, taking care of, you know, the areas that we have the ability to enjoy. Yeah. Um, so there's a couple random thoughts. <laughs> um, so, okay. So now I'll go back and so ask me a question as far as like from there, cause I completely forgot the original question. <laughs> no. Yeah. Just where you see the hunting industry, like, uh, like your perspective of like where you think it's headed, you know, where it's going. Um, yeah. So, yeah, no, I think, okay. So where it's headed, um, I think it's headed in a good direction. And, and so the hunting industry, just like everything else moves in cycles. Right. And so I think what we're, what we're seeing is we're seeing the, the middle to the end of this content overload cycle. So we went through a period where there were very few people that had the means to produce content. Right. Mm-hmm. And then as those barriers to entry drop, more people produce content and that inspired other people to go out there and produce content. And so now we're, so we've gone through that phase, but now we're at the point where everybody's producing content and it kind of gets watered down in the sense that, um, there's a lot of good stuff out there, but I can't just turn on the TV and know that I'm going to see a quality hunting program. Right. Or I can't, I can't listen to a hunting podcast and know that it's going to be good. Right. And so I think, that's, I think that people are going to kind of shy away from some of these things as a result, which is going to, you know, cause people to have less interest in pursuing some of these things other than the people that are doing it because they're truly passionate about it and they believe in it and they want to do it and they're promoting the right message, which is then going to, you know, it's going to kind of filter out some of the, the fringe people. I think we're going to go back to, you know, a, a tighter group of people producing good content and, you know, kind of go through that cycle over and over again. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I have, I, w- I wasn't even kind of expecting that part from the content piece, but like, I, I agree because everything does go in cycles. I mean, I, I mean, everything really like it's For sure. anything you can think of. Uh, yeah, no, that's interesting. I mean, that's so true because, and it's hard because I, I, um, I grew up hunting and I don't feel like that makes me, um, I don't feel like that necessarily makes me special or better than anybody or any, anyone wanting to get into it at a later time. Uh, I teach a lot of classes actually. I mostly teach adults because, um, I'm really passionate about that. Like I think that it has a lot of, um, empowering and healing to it, the outdoors and hunting. I, I think it's a very, if you approach it the right way um, and explain it's a process and teach them a skill like foraging or archery or whatever, like it makes people just, it just, I don't know, it just opens their eyes and makes them feel good about themselves. And I, I really like that. Um, but I also, uh, and I have had great luck with this. Like I, 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 I don't, I feel like I've been really, really lucky because the classes I've been either a part of or I've done myself, um, I have had an amazing group of adults 
that want to get into this for uh, like really good reasons, right? It's not um, yeah. they approach it in such like a beautiful way, and they're and they're willing to listen and learn and um, respect nature, the animals, the industry. You know, like they just they they're awesome. I really have not had at all like a negative experience with really anybody like one on one. It's been awesome. Um, however, I do sometimes because of social media or stories I hear or things I see, uh, people who kind of come in new and uh, come in not realizing there, you know, um, is kind of this unwritten like code of ethics of like how to show up yeah. because we already have a target on our back as hunters. So like coming, yep. you know, how you show up can have a really dramatic effect on the rest of us too. Um, and that's been hard for me to like, you know, find a way to, uh, share that, educate people without seeming like I'm attacking them. Like just, just pictures that get blown up. I, I myself have been, I've had a picture shared that I did not give permission to share, um, that was taken out of context and like completely got blown up on the internet. And I never would have shared it because of that reason. Um, because people who don't understand would take it in a really negative way. Um, and so that, that's hard for me. That's like an area where I can, I have to take a deep breath and not overreact of like how people show up and make hunting look like this awful thing that it's not. Um, and I think that's, it's gotta be hard with you being like on TV too, at least maybe not now, but was, I'm sure you've had a lot of criticism and negativity thrown your way. Oh yeah. And like, you know, so I have, three things that I'm going to try to remember here. Okay. <laughs> so first I want to talk about, you, you know, you, so you bring up, um, you know, people coming, how they come into, you know, the, the hunting world and how they present themselves from the outside looking in, you know, the people that want to attack hunting, um, they see a hunter, right? They don't see somebody that's been hunting for 20 years or somebody that wanted a week ago. They see a person in camo with a weapon and a, and a dead animal, right? Mm -hmm. So like it or not, once you start in this hobby, um, you're a hunter and, and you're labeled a hunter just like I am, just like you are, just like the person that's been doing it for, for a week, right? So there is a, a, we have to, as people that have been, been around it for longer, it's our responsibility to make sure that that message gets passed on. That's not saying, hey, we're better than you and, and you got to be like us. It's just saying, hey, be responsible and, you know, we've got to, Look at the numbers, right? We've got a, a sport or a hobby, whatever you want to call it, that's seen a, a huge decline in, in participation over the years because of, you know, the negative perception that it has and because of other factors. But just be conscious of that. Be aware of it, right? Mm -hmm. um, so I think that's that's one part to it. Um, you know, the other thing is, is um you know, as far as like being aware of what you're doing, we have like, even today. So like we produce a show for the outdoor channel, right? So our show is going to be viewed by people that specifically say, Hey, I want to go to the outdoor channel that has hunting shows on and I want to watch it. Right. Mm -hmm. So most of those people are going to be hunters. We still have to be conscious about what we show in videos. You know, we have, we don't show, you know, if there's a, unfortunately when you shoot a deer, especially with a bow, it doesn't always go down right away, you know? So sometimes it'll go down and it'll kick for, you know, 30 seconds or 60 seconds, right? We don't zoom in and show that deer, you know, 
dying on film, right? You just don't do stuff like that. Um, blood, you know, <laughs> again, you'd think that having a show on the outdoor channel, like it wouldn't be that big of a deal, but like we have to be conscious of showing excessive blood in pictures, you know, yeah. right, wrong or indifferent. It's just, you know, there's little things that we have to do because it's not always the fact that, Hey, we're producing for viewers that understand it's, Hey, we're producing a show that we're putting out that anybody can get their hands on. And if they want to use it as a negative campaign to attack us, to attack our industry, to attack our, our sport or our passion, they can. And so you just, you just have to be guarded with that. So, you know, we have to do it. You have to do it. Um, you know, the people that are, are putting stuff on social media have to do it. Unfortunately, it's just kind of the world we live in. And then the last part, the last part to that was like, um, the one thing I would say that it's not really like a regret, but one of the things that like, I look back on, um, that I think is really important is so like along the lines of not showing an animal suffering and, and not, you know, glorifying the, the blood and the guts and the stuff like that. Um, I think I was a little over cautious to that at first. And when I first started um, filming, I was uh, I was super conscious to the fact that like I'm only going to take a shot that I'm extremely confident in, and I probably passed some opportunities that I could have made, but at the same time, I didn't take the chance. I didn't risk a bad hit, or I didn't risk you know gut shot in deer, things like that. And that was something that I really focused on. There were times, and, and, you know, I think some people will probably see this in the next four or five months, there are times that I missed, right? And, and I didn't want to show that. And, like, I'm ashamed of the fact that I didn't want to show that because people miss. You make mistakes. Like, the, the rush that you get when, you know, that animal comes in, like, you, you get that shake. You know, I'm, I'm getting chills talking about it right now. Like, that's what makes us passionate about what we do. Um, so things happen. So like, while we've got this, this responsibility and this burden to, to do things the right way and represent ourselves in a way, don't hold yourself to the standard that you can't make mistakes because you absolutely can. And that's the beauty of hunting is if you do it long enough, you're going to make mistakes. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I got a buddy that said something that just, it's always stuck with me. If you've never missed, you haven't taken enough shots. Yeah. My dad says that. Yeah. And my dad says that all the time. Like if, cause he, he, uh, he can be pretty competitive, um, with me and like good or bad. Like sometimes I think I haven't shot, um, smaller deer or great opportunities because I wanted to have as big of deer on the wall as my dad did. Um, but yep. when I am like really in my head about, um, times I've missed, like he always tells me, He's like, Steph, I've missed more deer than you've ever even shot at. So, and you know, and he's like, it's, he's like, but that's why I have a lot of deer. <laughs> it's because yeah. I, yeah. you know, he's like, so he's like, it just, he's like anyone who told you they've never missed, they've either A, not made enough shots or B, they're lying. It's, it's just not, it's just, that's just not how it yep. goes. Um, exactly. And yeah, I have to, I have to tell myself that a lot cause I do, especially for whatever reason, maybe it's because I'm from Iowa. I don't know, but deer hunting gets in my head more than any other type of hunting. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, it's because it's measurable. Mm -hmm. Right. And like, 
honestly, like you talk about the competitiveness and like I I played sports like obviously so like I played football, you know, I've mentioned sports, but like I played football through college. I played basketball growing up and I was, you know, was a basketball player, but like I love sports because of the competitiveness of it. And, you know, it's measurable, it's quantifiable. You know, if, if you go in and, and you score X amount of points, I can get past that, right? And so, like, with, let's just use duck hunting. Like, I'm not a big duck hunter, right? Mm-hmm. So, but, like, you're not weighing your ducks. You're not measuring their bills, you know? Yeah. <laughs> you're not You're not counting their feathers, you know? Yeah, is it cool if you shoot a turkey with a long beard? Yes. You know, is it cool if you um, catch a fish that's, you know, 10 pounds? Absolutely. Um, so there's, there's other parts of it, but like with deer hunting in particular, and and I would say any antlered hunting, um, you know, elk, whatever it may be, we have a very definite way of measuring deer and, and measuring antlers and it's measured in inches. And so it's like, there is a number to your accomplishment. Mm -hmm. And I think part of it, you know, so, so that's part of the competitiveness is I want to shoot a bigger deer. I want to shoot a bigger deer. Um, and I think I remember, so like I've got go back to going through the process, right? Like the first year I ever shot was probably 130 inch eight pointer, right? I was my, I was shaking. My heart was pounding, you know, it was awesome. <laughs> and that's the smallest year I've ever shot. Right. And at the same time, you might take somebody from upstate New York and that might be the biggest deer they've ever seen. So like, we, I, I think the, you know, and, and this is one of the negatives of TV is you see everybody that hunts in, you know, pretty prime areas for deer hunting. Um, you know, I'd use a, a buddy of mine, Cody Jarrett. He was in West Virginia. Um, and he's a big deer hunter and for him to shoot 150 inch deer, he has to do something special and that deer has to be old and it, you know, like it takes something to get there you can find a three-year-old 150-inch deer in Iowa. So my challenge for myself and my, you know, like just kind of in my evolution of what do I quantify as, a, as an accomplishment has shifted from inches to age, right? I want to shoot a deer that, you know, is an old deer. So whether that deer be 160 inches or 140 or, you know, 190, whatever it may be, um, I want to shoot a deer that's, you know, five, six, seven, eight years old, because that's just kind of the next thing. Because again, if all you measure your accomplishments in inches, um, I went from, you know, I, I kind of progressively shot bigger and bigger deer because my standards got higher and higher. And, you know, once I shot my biggest deer, I kind of had to look at myself and say, okay, well, I'm not going to have an opportunity to shoot a deer like this every year or even once every five, like it truly was a once in a lifetime deer. Now, hopefully I get a second chance at one, but you know, it's one of those things where, um, if I'm only going to try to up my inches every year, then I should just retire because it's not going to be very much fun. <laughs> um, yeah. but you can always go find an older deer or you can always find a deer that maybe was around the farm for two or three years and never really caught your eye. And, now he's, you know, eight years old and just kind of gnarly and smarter than heck. And that's the challenge is, is being in the right spot and outsmarting him. And then, you know, once you have the opportunity to take advantage of, of that, then, 
you know, then you feel that sense of accomplishment again. So it's, it's, it's tough, but yeah, you know, going back to where we started, you know, I think with any antlered animal hunting, it's the measurement in inches that kind of drives that, uh, competitiveness. Yeah, absolutely. I, I totally, um, skipped this in the beginning because we just went on like a couple tangents, you know, uh, but, um, what was it like? What did that look like for you? when you became a Hawkeye football player and the outdoors, like, was that kind of just like whenever you could fit it in sort of thing? I'm, I'm sure oh, yeah. it's hard to fit that in, but, uh, like, what did that look like? Yeah. So, um, I mean, one thing I want to make very clear is yeah. any college sport whether it's division three division two II, division one whatever it is a full-time job and i know you know people that that were part of it that are part of it like it consumes you right and so for me part of my balance and part of my you know disconnecting from football in order to you know make sure that i didn't get burned out on it was spending time outdoors so um you know just more specifically what did it look like um you know, so in Iowa City, there's a, um, I think they still do it, but they used to do a, a doe management hunt where you could hunt, like, the city parks, like, not the ones where kids are playing on the swing set, but, um, like, the the bigger parks where there's some timber, just because the deer numbers got so high, um, where you could go out and, and doe hunt, and that was something where we could drive five minutes out the door and, uh, you know, and, and go hunt for a morning. So that was most of my deer hunting, um, you know, uh, a guy I'm sure or I, I know, you know, Dylan Carew, he's from the Iowa city area. Um, you know, I, I used to go shotgun hunting with him and his family when we had time. So there were, there were opportunities to, um, to go out and, and hunt, but they were only because, you know, people like Dylan and his brothers and his dad were willing to let me join, you know, their, their family, tradition basically um and do that because just driving home wasn't an option when you had to be back for practice or you know when you had film that night or whatever it may be um so my deer hunting i would say was pretty limited in school which i think is what drove me to just dive head first into it once i got out of school it was like i just wanted as much of it as i could because i had to put it off for the last you know six years of my life yeah um yeah but then we did a lot of a lot of turkey hunting, you know, because in the spring with football you're not quite as busy. You got spring ball, so um, we did a lot of turkey hunting. There's a lot of great uh, public hunting areas up around Iowa City that, that you can get into some turkeys and um, and then fishing, uh, you know, catfish fishing up on the res and um, you know getting out there after ice out and catching some channel cats and, and all that stuff. We we used to uh, we set a lot of bank lines on the Iowa River. Um, you know, so it's funny. So I had been, <laughs> not a lot of people know this, even people from around Iowa City, but, um, like, I'm not going to say specifically where, but on the Iowa River is some of the best walleye fishing you can you can find anywhere. <laughs> um, like, I lived in South Dakota and spent two years up there walleye fishing a lot and caught a lot of walleyes. Um, one fall, I caught five walleyes that were, you know, 28 to 31 inches in one spot on the river and very limited fishing. So, 
like there's a lot of great opportunities. Um, it's just a matter of going out there and finding them. Um, and that's kind of what we did when we were in school. Awesome. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, I, um, I definitely, and like I, where I relate to this, I think was more when I was done with school, uh, and like really focused on my career and thinking that, it had to look a certain way, like school, corporate job, work up the ladder. Yeah. And I had a few years of like, I, I still hunted like during um, mostly the bow season uh, in Iowa. But besides that, I really didn't do anything because um, I, I was so focused on paying off debt and making money and like working up this corporate ladder, which ultimately like made me not very happy and I just felt like yeah. not myself um and not like all my friends and family have to be hunters because that's not true I would say a majority oh, of yeah. people in my life are, are aren't um but like surround yourself with people that are different than you right. so you get different viewpoints yeah. don't just surround people with that only believe in what you believe and yet because that's the only you end up in an echo chamber but yeah. anyways yeah no <laughs> yes yes uh, and I, and I love that. Like there's so many different parts of, to me besides hunting, but I will say that I felt like even though I was surrounded by good people, they weren't necessarily a majority of them weren't my people, if that makes sense. Like just yeah. seeing things, looking at life bigger, you know, that I'm not just made to, to work and pay bills and die, you know, like I just, yeah that bigger mindset, it doesn't have to be related to the outdoors or hunting, but that's what really like started to burn me out the most was that I couldn't have like bigger life conversations with anyone around me. Everyone was seeming to play kind of smaller, kind of stay on this basic track, which, you know, I would say if that makes people happy, awesome. But my thing was, is no one really seemed happy. <laughs> so it was just, yeah. you know, it's, uh, to me, like, if that makes you happy, that's awesome, and I'm cheering you on, but if it doesn't, then, like, what are we doing here, you know? Um, right. And that's where I feel like that clicked for me of, like, okay, I have to find a balance. Things have to change. I, I need this back in my life. Uh, you know, if it leads to something bigger, awesome. If not, it'll just be a good escape for me and have, you know, I, I, just, I just needed something more. Um, so I, I relate to that, but just from a different experience. And... It's hard to get there, like where you're at and, and going through that decision and, and making that change. Like that's scary, honestly, um, because you're leaving like the status quo or what's considered normal and taking a risk and going off on your own and, you know, kind of doing your own thing. But at the same time, like that's when people become extremely successful because they're passionate about what they're doing. They're not chasing somebody else's dreams or somebody else's goals. And, you know, you can lie to all the people around you, but you can't lie to yourself. So at the end of the day, like, you have to be able to answer yourself, are you really passionate about what you're doing or not? And it's funny because, like I said, those are the people that end up being really successful at what they do. And then all the other people that are stuck in that, that you know, like, accomplishing other people's goals – they're going to look at you or look at that person and be like, man, they're really successful. I wish I could be like that. Like that was, they're lucky. You know, that was so easy for them. Like they've got this, you know, she's got this podcast that she gets uh, millions of people to listen to. All she has to do is talk to people. Like that's incredible. Like 
I could do something like that. That's easy. But the hard part is taking that chance and separating yourself from, from those other people and, you know, chase, having the courage to chase what you want to do. So I think that's pretty cool. Yeah. Thank you. And I mean, same to you. I'm curious, like how much, however much you want to share about this, uh, was, um, like joining, like, Whitetail Freaks, was that, was that right after school, like an after football, or how did that come to be? Yeah, okay, so, so I started out, the first two years out of school, I worked for um, a medical device company building operating rooms, um, and so I did that, and it was one of those things where we kind of worked at our own speed, so like, I mean, I'd, I'd work, you know, 16, 20-hour days, sleep for a few hours, go back, do it again. So that I could knock out, you know, a 50 or 60 hour project in three or four days. And then that would give me three or four days at home to go out and hunt and do those things. So like I was basically like burning through everything I could as fast as I could to get back and then chasing, you know, what I was really passionate about. And like, that was kind of when I had the realization that like, you know, if I'm, if I'm doing this just to be able to come back here why am I doing this? Right. Mm-hmm. And I was, I was trying to climb that corporate ladder and, and trying to, you know, uh, advance my position and, and, you know, and doing all of those things and then leaving that behind and then chasing what I was really passionate about and being outside and things like that. So, um, I was kind of stuck in this limbo and like, I didn't have an answer. Like at the time it was like, well, I know I want to move back to Fairfield. So I moved back to Fairfield. Um, and was just working remote, like traveling for work basically. Um, and so that's when, you know, a good friend of mine from high school, um, Spencer Atwood, um, you know, we kind of, we were able to reconnect just, you know, he was off in North Carolina, um, at school for a while. And, you know, when I was at Iowa and we both kind of moved back around the same time and he farms, um, and he had been, um, doing this. Uh, hunting with the whitetail freaks for a year or two at the time and uh we just kind of started spending some time together and then through him i met tyler reese okay so tyler and spencer filmed together um i met tyler and at the time i was still working for striker which was my previous employer and uh i really want like i had this i had this goal i wanted to go elk hunting right and so one day spencer called me he was like hey I was supposed to go elk hunting with Tyler. Um, I got, I had some stuff cut all through. I can't go. Um, do you want to go? You know, here's what it costs. Um, and I said, yeah, you know, I just kind of like jumped at the opportunity because this is something that I didn't really think was realistic for me. But, um, you know, at the time I could afford it. And when I say could afford it, it meant like I had enough money in my bank account to cover it. (laughs) So it was, it was by no means like, Hey, here's my extra fund. Yeah. But it was like, it was this thing where it was like, okay, I've worked my butt off and I can save my money and have it sitting in this account and feel really good about it. Or I can spend it and go have a, this experience that I've wanted for so long. Mm-hmm. Um, so I did it. And, uh, you know, you spend a week in, in the mountains with somebody chasing animals that are smarter, faster, stronger, uh, more intelligent than you. Uh, with somebody else and, and you get to know them pretty well, you know, and, and when I say that, like you see the frustration, you see the competitiveness, you see the drive, you see all these things. And, 
Um, and I think that went both ways with Tyler and I. You know, we both kind of saw a little bit of each other and in, in in each other. Um, and so we got to be good friends. And he basically said, look, I'm not looking to hire anybody, um, but I'd be interested in talking. And I said, well, I'm pretty happy doing what I'm doing, but I'd be willing to listen. And I think two months later, I was working for Tyler. Um, and so, um, and then working with Tyler, um, is just one of those things where like I was hunting him and Spencer were hunting and it was kind of like a, why don't we all do this together? Um, and so, you know, we talked to Candy, uh, Kiski and, and basically it was just like a, yeah, if you can put some content together and, uh, get it to us, you know, we'll give you a shot. And that was, like I said, seven or eight years ago now, I think. So been doing that ever since. Awesome. That's so awesome. Yeah, so so that's a great example. That's a great example, though. Like, I lucked into having an opportunity to be a part of this show, but in reality, I took a chance and went to do something that I was that I was passionate about that didn't really make much sense financially at the time. But that's what's led me to where I am today, both in my career and and my hunting career. So it's just kind of funny looking back on it. Yeah, and it is, it is, and I, I keep, I mean, I would give this advice to somebody else, but it's hard for me to sometimes take it for myself is, um, you know, take the trip, do the class, spend the money on the thing that like is speaking to your heart, you know, that, you know, it's kind of a risk, but you know, it's something you really want. Um, you know, that's, that's advice I give, but I'm not always very good at taking it because it's scary, right? Like there's just there's yeah. a lot of risk and there's a lot of what if. Um, I, I feel like when it comes to tangible things, like, um, I don't know, like, I don't know, like certain hunts and adventures, I'm like all in, but like sometimes when it's, it's, it's a career change or kind of a lifestyle change, I can, I can be kind of, I can be kind of scared of that. Like that's something I work through all the time, but I think that's awesome. I think that when things, I mean, you just kind of knew that it like felt right. Like I'm being putting like. Some things can feel kind of impulsive, I guess, but you just, you knew it was the right thing for you. And I just think some of that stuff unfolds when you just do what it feels right to you. Like, I just think that happens. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And it's not easy. Um, but I don't know. My thing, like, you know, you talk about like making decisions and stuff. I'm kind of, my wife hates it sometimes because I end up making a decision before we really even had a chance to talk about it. But like, I'm so like, I can get so caught up in going back and forth, you know, to where like, so uh, whether you make a decision or not, you're making a decision, yes. right? So by not making a decision, I'm choosing to continue doing what I'm doing. Right. So like once you look at it from that standpoint, um, I've basically just gotten to the point where it's like, okay, what are the benefits? What are the downsides? And then make your decision and go with it, right? Because you're either going to, A, waste a bunch of time going back and forth, or B, you're going to make the decision and then think about it. And when you're thinking about, did I make the right decision or not, you're not putting all, in your, all of your effort into doing what you're currently doing, which is going to hold you back. So I just kind of have this, like, plug my nose and jump in and just try to swim. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> I like it. I mean, that like speaks to me in a whole different kind of way right now too. Just like, in <laughs> so I'm taking this as a sign and it's, I'm getting like all the like, uh, like gut butterfly feelings right now to be honest. Good, good. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. Um, it, uh, do you, um, <laughs> so, J- so, you know, Jacob, obviously. Right. And, yeah, uh, I do. Jacob, I'm yeah. quite fortunate. Yes, <laughs> me too. Um, yeah. So a lot of he's joined a lot of podcasts before, and uh, like actually, kind of how Jacob and I got to know each other was through my podcast. Um, but he had told me to ask you, and I think it was a joke, and maybe I'm not supposed to ask you this. Uh, but he <laughs> goes, he he's a big, uh, you know he's a he is actually a very successful deer hunter so i think it's really funny that he like acts like he's not a deer hunter so it's just really funny to me right but he uh he wants to know why do deer dorks hate hound hunters (laughs) do you have any insight into that (laughs) well i would say that the joke is probably that he thinks i'm a deer dork and uh yeah so, okay, so that it, there's actually a serious answer to that. Yes. Um, and, yes. I, it, it, you know, it kind of comes back to um, a lot of the things that we've talked about. So, like, Jake and I have gone back and forth about some of this stuff. And, like, you know, just the term deer dork just refer, refers to – and. He calls, I'd be me careful how I, how he calls me that too. He calls me that too. Yeah. And Jacob, for people who don't know, is my boyfriend. So it's a very endearing thing. It's not. It's not to be uh, yeah. offensive. Yeah. It's. It's just. It's more of a thing. Like it's. It's. It's the people that think about only deer hunting, yes. right? Yes. Um. And and or or primarily deer hunting, let's say. And then you've got the hound guys who are running dogs to hunt coons, and you know, which I think is something that you've kind of gotten into, and and been pretty passionate about so like i think so the reason that there's an issue is because you've got um so like i'll just speak to what i know in my area because it's going to be different no matter what part of the world you're in or even what part of iowa you're in um but like down here there's a lot of clashing because so like i'm in jefferson county the county south of me is van buren county okay and like van buren county when back in like the 90s and early 2000s when you know the juries and don kiske and all these people were on tv like van buren county was kind of this like you know oh my god like sound the church choirs when you see it you know there's just there's 200 inch deer in every section and there's all these giant deer and and all these things so like that's kind of the perception of van buren is that like there's just big deer it's it's rough country you know Mm -hmm. it's cattle country it's hills it's timber it's draws it's multiple rows so like all these different things um but like down there there's a big issue there's a big conflict um with um with hound hunters um whether it be for coyotes or or coons primarily it's coyotes now um but and then the legislation as far as like you know well my dog can't trespass so like if i let my dog out and he runs through your section chasing a coyote like i can't control that Right. Right. And so then you've got all these people that because of what Van Buren was built up to be, 
you've got a lot of people that don't actually live in Van Buren that have come in and bought farms that manage properties specifically for deer hunting. And so they've spent a lot of money on those farms and they've spent money improving them. And they feel like, you know, these people who are generally local, just because most of your, your, your cow hunters are, are in, are preventing them from enjoying what they've spent all this money on. Right. So there's kind of your issue. There's your issue. Right. Um, and, and so at the end of the day, it's just like everything else in this world. You've got extreme people on both sides that are causing all the issues, right? Yeah. You've got your your deer dorks that I can't let a dog run through my property ever because it's going to scare off that deer in, you know, March, and he's never coming back, and I'm not going to get to shoot him in October. And then you've got, you know, hound guys that say, you know, uh, screw these guys. I'm going to, I'm going to run through my dog through here just for the sake of doing it just because I can, you know, yep. not saying that specifically guys are doing that, but like there would be your two accidents. Yes. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And so in reality and, and like my thing and where, where Jacob and I have always agreed is there's gotta be a middle ground and you've got to have deer hunters that are willing to like, I'll just use myself as an example. Like if, if Guys want to come coyote hunt and run dogs through my property, not during deer season, all the power to them because they're helping me out, right? They're taking away predators or, you know, they're doing all these things. The deer are going to go where they want to go, whether they go through there or not. So if they scare that deer off and he really wants to be on my farm, he's going to come back. If he doesn't want to be there, he's not going to stick around until hunting season anyway, so it doesn't really matter. Yeah. Um, and so there's just got to be this, this common ground where it's like, hey, guys, let's We'll take this work, right? You know, there's times where you can you can cow hunt, and then I think at the same time the guys that are running dogs that you know have the ability to track them and have the ability to stop them, you know, have to be a little bit more conscious when they're around certain properties. That you know, if a guy has spent his life savings on that farm to be able to go out there when he retires and, and deer hunt, and halfway through a deer hunt, here comes a cow dog running past his deer stand. You know, that's not right either. So it's just one of those things where, like, finding the common ground and, and being able to work together and, and things like that. So Yeah. I yeah, really didn't even plan on asking kind of you that, but I was, like, it was, like, yeah. in my mind. And I was hoping I, – I didn't know what you would say, but that that uh, that's exactly um, how I feel about it. it it's just – it's always uh, – the extreme – the extremeness of both sides is what gets the news and the attention of everybody. And then everyone comes in to exactly. defend, you know, which side they tend to lean more towards. But <laughs> they think that they're right. personally being attacked when it's really not even them. It's like the extreme versions because I, I did not grow up coon hunting. Um, actually, part of uh, me going for the first time was talking smack to Jacob of, like, if I was going to, I, I want to basically, I'd be up for pretty much any hunt besides a coon hunt is what I told him because I just wasn't interested in it. Um, we used to spend a lot of time, uh, in Missouri, we, we'd go rifle hunting in Missouri as a family. And, uh, as a kid, I'd hear stories about like coon hunting and stuff. And it, it, it was always like kind of graphic and like, I'm not going to eat a raccoon. So I like didn't understand yeah. the point of it. And then after going one time, I'm I'm a dog person, so that changes everything. Yeah, uh, yeah. And yep. experiencing it, and then like the first few times I went out, being like right next, like being right next to a deer that was not even spooked at all that we were there, and not 
not rattled by the dog, not rattled by me. It's at night. They're like, whatever. Like I, it opened my eyes to so much because I would say I would have leaned on the side that, uh, hound hunters ruin deer hunting. And I definitely am not, that's not how I feel anymore at all. Um, because I've experienced it and it's actually sure. made me really now again, but the extreme side again does like the examples you gave, I, you know, like it, but the, the everyday deer hunter and the everyday coon hunter that just want to enjoy what they enjoy, um, they're not really out to ruin it for anybody else. And like, it doesn't, they no, work yeah. together. Yeah. So I just was, uh, Absolutely. it's interesting me loving both. Um, because I hear about the extreme sides and, and the kind of the smack talking between both sides. And I, I just think that's so fascinating because I'm like, gosh, I really enjoy both. And I don't think either one has ruined my experience of either one, you know, because I'm surrounded yeah. by respectful hunters kind of thing. So, right. Yeah. And that's the thing. I think there's, there, you know, like Jacob and I would be a good example where like we have the ability to have some banter and, and like, but like, at the same time, we're pretending to be those. So, like, it's just, yeah, it's one of those things where it's 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 fun. But at the end of the day, like, we can all get along. Like, there's plenty of ground out there. We, another thing is, like, so, like, <laughs> here I go again. But like, so I my career, like, what pays me is agriculture, right? So I work in agriculture. I'm around uh, farmers every day. I'm around fields every day that get damaged by coons, like. You know, everybody talks about deer damage, but you wouldn't believe the amount of damage that coons can do in a field. I mean, it looks like cattle get out in them. And part of it is, is the fact that, like, a coon just isn't worth much right now. So, like, the guys that used to go out and trap coons or that used to go out and, you know, shoot coons with, with a twenty two to, you know, make a little bit of money off the pelt, like, they're not doing that now. So the only people that are currently hunting coons are the people that have money invested in dogs and, you know, have trained dogs and, and want to see them work and want to enjoy. So like we need more people like that trying to, you know, uh, limit this coon herd for, for the lack of better terms, because I mean, it's just getting blown out of control and you know, it's, it's one of those things. It's just like deer, right? So either we'll take care of it or mother nature will. So like, if we don't, if we don't hunt, the coons and, and keep their numbers back. Like they're going to get diseased. They're going to get, you know, sick. They're going to die that way. Look at deer hunting. So like we got in, in our area, we got so focused on, you know, shooting that 180 inch deer or whatever it was that like, I'm not shooting a doe because I don't want a gut pile on my farm during hunting season. Um, so, or I'm going to let this doe walk past because there's probably a big buck behind her and I'm going to wait for him to come out. And so like, nobody's shooting does anymore and you've got people that manage you know huge chunks of ground that are you know i'm talking like five eight hundred acre farms that are shooting you know five to ten deer a year and these deer populations are just getting blown out of control and what do you know we get ehd you know and we lose half the deer herd you know or you know there's other parts of the country that are struggling with cwd so like you know, we've put ourselves in this position by, you know, allowing the herds to get too big, you know, back to being in agriculture, the, the analogy I always use is if I've got an 80 acre pasture and I take 20 cows out there and I leave them for 20 years and I come back, like I'm going to have a herd, I'm going to have a huge herd and they're going to be 
sick. They're going to be weak. They're going to be, you know, malnourished. They're, they're just not going to be a healthy herd, and the weak ones are going to die off. Versus if I have that same herd and I manage it every year and I'm taking some, you know, some, some heifers off, I'm taking some calves off, you know, I'm, I'm doing the things to make sure that I've got the right amount of cows on that acreage. Um, I'm going to have a healthy herd and it's going to be sustainable. It's the same thing with deer, you know, they're just in the wild. So if we, if we can make efforts to, you know, make sure that we're not overpopulating things, we'll have bigger deer. Um, you know, some of the best farms that I hunt have the most deer shot off of them. Um, and it's mostly through shotgun hunting, you know, getting driven and pushed and, you know, it's just the, the herd is better and the deer are healthier and they grow bigger antlers as a result. (laughs) At least that's what I think. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, totally agree. I, I, I think, I think where I can be kind of like, I'm all about like, love and supporting each other and all those things so i think sometimes it it always just throws me when hunters like don't support hunters you know and i get i get yeah the extreme versions of that of like people who give us a bad name as a whole I yeah get but, that. but those people aren't hunters they're dicks yeah. you know <laughs> <laughs> yeah i like it that could be the title of this episode <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> i won't make it the title of this episode but that would be a funny one I, yeah, I mean, yeah. yeah, exactly. I, I get it. Like I, I get that. And I, I always try, <laughs> I sometimes can try a little hard to reform the dicks into like actual woods. <laughs> and I try really hard to like sway, you know, the way they're thinking or like look at it from a different perspective, which sometimes they'll, you know, people will listen, but m- most of the time not if they're, if they're like that, they're like that for whatever reason. I, I don't know, but exactly. Um, I do think times are changing in that way overall. Like I think there's way more um, positivity and like deeper look into like the outdoor world and stuff than there used to be. So that's pretty cool. I for I sure. used to think Ted Nugent was so bizarre. Um, but I like speaking of that, if anyone like knows who he is, they understand what I'm like, why I just made that segue. But like, I, I love him. Like I love listening to him and he goes off on these weird tangents and stuff, but he does look at stuff like really deeply, uh, everything and talks about it from like a bigger picture and it, and it can be a little kooky, like, but I, I love it. Like he, he, I feel like I'm becoming, I will never be to that level probably, but, uh, just like that perspective, like that's where I, I feel like I fit in on the scale a little bit. Um. <laughs> You're on the nude spectrum. Yes. Yeah, I am on the spectrum. No, and that's a great example. Like, people love to take his, like, outrageous sound bites and make it out to, like, this is who Ted Nugent is, you know? But in actuality, like, that's just one shock factor thing that he happens to say, you know? And so once you get past that and you get to some of the deeper thoughts and beliefs, you know? um, And and is he right about all of them? No. Right. But he's passionate about it. And he believes that he is. And so at the end of the day, like, I might disagree with some of the things that he says, but that's okay. Like, Mm -hmm. I don't have to convince him to believe what I believe in. And I think that's like, when you look at uh, just like, whether it's, you know, look at the deer dorks versus hound guys, right? 
I don't have to convince a hound guy to believe what I believe mm-hmm. in order for me to feel right. Like if he's passionate about what he believes in, great. You know, like I might share my viewpoints with him and if he disagrees, so be it. But like we live in a society where like everybody has to convince everybody else to think that they, the way that they do and believe the way that the things that they believe. And yeah. you know, that's like, you look at Ted Nugent and like, there's not a lot of people that think like Ted Nugent. He's one of a kind. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so like, yeah, he's going to, he's going to rub some people the wrong way, but you know, so be it. Let him do his thing. Yeah. And they say, and, and I, I think about that too, because I am such a, like I love people and connecting with people. And you know, a quote that I have to remember as I get more into this is if the, 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 the famous people, the people who make a difference, not everybody likes them. Right. So not everyone agrees with them. They, they're met with some resistance. If you haven't been met with resistance yet, you're probably not doing enough or doing it right. Um, and that, that is something that I'm starting to experience. Um, but it's uncomfortable for me because I am such like a love, get along with people like a bubbly person. Um, so, you know, the first couple times I was met with like negativity and resistance, it was really hard for me. It was like really hard for me. Uh, here's here's the here's the thing so like doing what you're doing if you put out the same content that everybody else does and you have the same conversation with the same people like who's going to want to listen to you versus somebody else right and so it's the same thing with you know you talk about all these people like nobody put uh jim shockey on tv because he was like every other hunter yeah right and nobody watches Jim Shockey because they think like, oh, I want to go. I'm going to be like Jim Shockey. Like, I watch Jim Shockey because it's like I'm never going to be able to chase a gazelle and crack a lack of stand. So I'm going to watch this guy go do it, you know. So it's just like that's why people watch them. And so, like, if you – and, like, for you or, you know, back to the industry thing, like, if, if your goal is to – be what somebody else is or be like somebody else like you're not going to go very far in any industry let alone the outdoor industry so like Mm -hmm. you have to be able to differentiate yourself and and present a different product or a different um content or something like that too and at the end of the day whether people like it or not or whether people watch it or listen to it that's what's going to determine whether you're successful or not not whether you're just like joe rogan you know yeah yeah. No, and I think uh, I think for me personally, and I think a lot of people can relate to this because I think this, is, this isn't something that stops when you're like in your 20s. Like I still feel like I'm very much figuring out who I am all the time. Um, and I think a lot of people don't want to say that. Like I think they think they just have to have themselves and everything like figured out. And I'm definitely learning like that is not the case. Um, you just have to, like you said earlier, enjoy the process and show up as authentically as you can, um, which should be, it should be easier for people, right? Like to show up authentically. Uh, I think it for some reason is hard. Um, probably fear of being judged or I don't know, looking like a fool or like me or, you know, whatever. Yeah. And (laughs) We're just getting totally away from hunting now. But, like, you know, just I think we live in a world of, of like, positive reinforcement and the need for that positive reinforcement. And, like, here's the the shocking 
truth that a lot of people don't believe is like when I go out and walk a field of corn and, and look for disease, there's nobody on the road waiting for me when I get out clapping for him and he's saying, hey, good job walking out there in that 100-degree weather. <laughs> but it's what I need to do to get my job done. Yeah. And so, like, you know, if, if, you know, we get caught up, like, so you talk about, like, putting your head down and going to work. Like, when you put your head down, you're not worried about what other people are thinking and you're getting stuff done. Mm-hmm. And if we're constantly looking around, looking for other people to tell us that we're doing a good job or, you know, looking for positive reinforcement, we're not spending any time getting anything done. Um, so despite what you see on Facebook or Twitter or whatever, what may have you, uh, getting things done and working is what makes people successful. <laughs> yeah. Not like. Nope. That's yeah. I think that very much applies to hunting, but to make it circle it all back cause time has like flown by already. Uh, is I have t- I have a couple more questions for you, and then whatever at the end, you we'll know, whatever. Have to do a part two. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. Uh, so you're a dad. How yeah. has that like, or has it at all affected um, like both the career that you have and like your time in the outdoors and hunting? Like, what does that look like for you? Um. So, you know, it's it's. So back to like always figuring out who we are and always being like, you have to always be willing to question like, why am I doing this? Who am I doing this for? And so I think the biggest thing for me, like when I became a dad was there's always an answer to that question. Right. So like, it's always, why am I doing this for my, my kids? Right. I'm always doing things for my kids. So it just, it helps give you a constant purpose in the times that you can't think of anything else, right? Because there's other times where it's like, why am I doing this? Well, because I need money to pay a bill. Okay, good enough, right? Mm-hmm. But, like, at the end of the day, why am I doing the things that I do? You know, I spend time with – so, like, I, I'm a volunteer high school coach. I coach football and basketball. Like, why do I do that? Because I had people that did that in my life and helped me accomplish things, and I want to return that favor, and like at face value, that seems like, oh, you know, that's this great thing. And like, you know, but at the same time, like there are selfish motives because my expectations are like, hey, I came back to this community. I'm willing to give back to these kids. Like, I hope that by doing this, somebody will see that and they'll do the same thing when my kids are going through school. And then, you know, that's how we help make this community better. So like, you know, back to how does how do kids change it? It just, it gives you a, a lot of purpose. Um, and, and that's more so like in the career and the things I do on a day-to-day basis, um, from a hunting standpoint, it's definitely made it more difficult. Like I don't have as much time to go do the things that, that I want to do or I need to do, but I mean, that just kind of is what it is. Um, you know, and, and my, my hope is that, um, you know, once as the kids, so Barrett is my oldest, uh, he's two and a half and he's just getting to the point where like you know, I can take him on four-wheeler rides and we can go check cameras. And, you know, I hope that that's something that he looks back on and enjoys and, and finds passion in it. But at the end of the day, if he doesn't and he wants to go be in the band and that's what he really enjoys, then then great. So, um, you know, right now I'm just kind of, from a hunting standpoint, I, I try to do as much as I can. And, um, you know, when I have time, but at the same time, you know, my kids and my family absolutely are a priority. So mm-hmm. it does kind of take, take away from some of that stuff for sure. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, and I, I imagine it does, but I feel like it just life changes and priorities shift, and you make it yeah. work. Well, it, yeah, I want to be very clear. It's not like a, man, I can't believe I have to be sitting at home with my kids instead of, yeah. you know, playing food plots. It's a, <laughs> I would rather be at home with my kids than playing food plots. Like, yes. I love elk hunting, but, like, right now at the age of my kids, the thought of being in the mountains without phone service and without being able to talk to them for, you know, eight days straight. Like, I don't want to do that. (laughs) I would rather spend the time with them than go hunting. So it's not that like, I can't do these things because of the kids. It's just that my priorities have have shifted for right now and the time in my life. Yeah, no. And I love that. And I think you made that clear too. And I, I definitely think like, cause that's, that's what you want to be doing. And that's awesome. And like, that just, I, I always feel like people have questions about that. Um, and like how to make that work. And I, you know, I don't even, I don't have children. Um, but I still get asked by people like when I was a kid, like how did the outdoors get implemented into my life? And like, what did my dad do to make it where I'm an adult now and I'm obsessed with the outdoors? Like, cause I think people, you know, if they are also an outdoorsman, they really, they want their kids just to be happy. Right. But they also hope like, okay, I hope that the stuff I'm doing with them is leaving some sort of mark on them. And it's something that they maybe would want to do, or at least have respect for when they get older. Right. And, uh, I think sometimes like, I think if you're doing it in the right way, I think your kid's going to have respect for it no matter what, because they love you and it's going to be a positive memory in their head. Um, for sure. But well, and I think, yeah. And I meant to say something about it earlier too, but when you were talking about like adults getting into hunting, Um, but like there's, there's plenty of kids, um, and I've seen it where, you know, maybe their parents hunt a bunch. It's just not something that they're into, you know? And so they kind of go off and do their own thing. And at the same time, there's kids that spend all of their time, you know, growing up hunting. And eventually once they have the ability to make that decision on their own, they don't want to do it because they look back at it as something that they had to go do. And so, You know, I think that, you know, there's a lot of, I, I would say as like, as an adult, like for people that are looking at getting into hunting or pursuing it as a hobby, I think there's probably a lot of, uh, angst as far as like, well, I haven't been doing that all my life. And I think like, you know, from an outdoor industry or just from a hunting industry or hunting population as a whole, there's this perception of like grew up hunting, loved it, had a passion for it, been doing it all my life, right? That's everybody. And so, like, now you've got a 30-year-old or a 40-year-old adult or, gosh, I have a buddy that, you know, never hunted until he retired, and, like, he's all about it now. But, like, those people are, I think, because of that perception, there's probably some fear as far as, like, I don't know that, like, I want to get going because, like, where do I start? Like, no matter what I do, I haven't been doing it all my life, you know? And so I think that, but having been around some of those types of people that have taken that leap, like those are the people that are more passionate about it than any, because they made the decision to get into it. It wasn't their parents that, you know, drug them out to the field at five in the morning, or it wasn't the, you know, the hunting trips that they had to go on as kids. Like they made the decision to get into it. So, I mean, no matter who you are, whether you grown up hunting or whether you've never hunted before but you want to get into it like we've all got an opportunity to enjoy the outdoors and you know and, and find a passion in it and like don't have that fear about it 
Yeah. No, it's interesting. I really like that. And I can, I think sometimes I can relate um, more to the like adult hunters at times because I did have that few years of, I still hunted, but it was like a big gap, like compared to like what I used to do and then what I'm doing now. There's like a good gap where I feel like I, I, I'm so, I'm such a curious, um, constantly wanting to learn type of person that me, I think I get this like angst and this, this crazy passion because I feel like there's years of my life that I missed out on all these things I could have learned and be doing by now, but I, I put them to the side for so long that I think some of yeah. my crazy passion fire comes from that few years of just not doing anything and not making myself better. And now I just want to be the best I can be because I, I, I see like, you know, hindsight of like, oh, I, I could have been doing this instead. And I look where, cause just, I just think about the last few years of my life, what I've thrown myself into. When I look back at two years ago, I am like, I'm the same person, but I am also in a lot of ways, a very different person. I'm way more educated. I have a different mindset. Um, I've taught myself or learned from others different skills that I never thought I could do. And I'm like super proud of that. So and it's, it's addictive. Like once you do that and you start to yeah. get this better version of yourself or this, you start reaching your potential, you're like, Oh my God. Like I like it's, it's addictive, I think. Um, and I, yeah. I agree that like once an adult gets into it and they, and they get that like, Oh, like this is what I've been missing. That's what it like takes off for sure. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, and like you probably, I'm making an assumption here, but like there's no way two years ago when you just kind of like jumped into this and, and committed to it, there's no way that you could have said, Hey, here's what I want to be doing in two years. Yeah. It just kind of like developed into that. And so like, that's the other thing is like, you don't have to have an end goal in mind. You don't have to be like, okay, I'm going to start hunting because I want to accomplish X, X, and X. It's, it's it's like hey i'm curious about like i see all these people that are wacky deer hunters like crazy about shooting a deer like why are they like that and you just want to find out about it like mm-hmm. great maybe you find out and it's like okay well now i know and then you move on but maybe you find out and it's like oh i get it <laughs> and then you're hooked so yeah. you know there doesn't have to be this like huge end and goal in mind it's just like just jump in try it see if you like it yeah yeah. No, I think that's awesome. And uh, I I think uh, last thing or last one, one of the last things I have for you is what is kind of like your next adventure or next hunting trip that you have planned or any, any bit, any big things coming up with the show life? Like what's, what's going on? Um, so yeah, my bit, my next like big hunting adventure. Um, I don't really know yet. So like right now, just with everything going on with kids and coaching and stuff like that, I've just kind of committed to deer hunting because it's local and I can kind of do it. But, um, I'd love to get back to, um, you know, going out West and, and challenging myself physically and mentally and all that stuff. And so right now I've just kind of been putting in for points in, in a few different States. Um, just knowing that down the road, I'll be happy that I did it. Um, and so I'd say, you know, mostly elk and mule deer. Um, those are kind of the things that, that I'm interested in. And, like, it's funny because, like, uh, Tyler, who I work with, he's always asking me, like, well, what's your dream hunt? What's your dream hunt? You know, and, like, my dream hunt is so lame. <laughs> uh, so, like, 
because like so Tyler's going to Alaska to shoot a grizzly bear this year. Like it's gonna be awesome. He's gonna have a great time. Like I don't have a strong passion to go do that right now. Like not saying that I won't ever, but like that's not my thing. So like he he said, you know, what's if if, if money wasn't an issue, what would you do? I would go shoot a buffalo. I just think that like there's just there's so like it's honestly it's the lamest hunt you could ever go on because like you go from like you know elk hunting where you're running through the mountains chasing these bugling animals or sheep hunting where you're pushing yourself to the limits and you know toenails are falling off because you're walking miles through the rocks and and then you go like buffalo hunting it's like you walk up to the thing and it kind of looks at you and then you shoot it. So, but like to me, it's it's just like the whole like the nostalgia of it. Like yeah. you know, the West was built on buffaloes. Like our country, from a hunting standpoint, from a food standpoint, like it was buffaloes. It wasn't white-tailed deer. It wasn't elks. It wasn't mm-hmm. elks. I think that's the plural version. <laughs> uh, you know, so like so for me, it's just more of this like it's a it's an iconic animal, and so because of that, like, it's an iconic hunt. And not to mention, you get a lot of awesome meat out of the deal. But, yeah. The, uh, yeah, that, that'd be, like, my my adventures in the future. <laughs> yeah, I get that. I, I like, kind of, I, I get what you're saying, because I, actually, the um, the guide school I was at is in South Dakota, and they and they do uh, buffalo hunts. And, um, like, we kind of went down that road of, like, the nostalgia of it, and they have this huge like buffalo head when you walk in um and i've been next to and near buffalo many times in my life um we had the place we hunted uh back home there was a farm next door that raised buffalo i've been you know national parks been right driven you know stood right next to them like i realize like how big they are but when i see when i saw that buffalo head up there i was like in awe of it um yeah. just how huge it was and like beautiful and um the outfitter was talking like about some of like his buffalo hunts and just like uh his experience with clients and you know what makes people want to do it and it was just it was fascinating and i i totally get the appeal of it like 100 percent because i i get i love the nostalgia behind hunting i think that's why i actually love coon hunting now too um is like sure. the history of uh working with dogs and, um, you know, what fur used to mean to this country, like kind of based on like our country was basically built on, yeah, like Buffalo and fur, um, and like right. trade. Yes, exactly. Yeah. yeah. And so I, I totally get that. Like, that's not crazy at all. I, I totally understand that. That's really yeah. cool. Yeah. 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 <laughs> anyway, it's not real exciting, but that's the dream. It is too. <laughs> it is too exciting. Um, that's funny. Uh, do you have any parting words or things that you wish I would have asked you that you want to share? Um, no, I really don't. <laughs> I mean, like, I mean, not to say that, like, because honestly, I could stay on the phone and if you had more questions, like, I would answer them all day because I'm really enjoying, you know, talking with you. And I think we're having a good conversation. Okay. Um, but like. It, I don't really have an agenda. You know, I, I know we kind of joked, like, you know, Jacob told me like a year ago, he asked if I'd be willing to do this. And I was like, yeah. So like, I've literally spent the past year looking forward to doing this. And I finally got the call. <laughs> uh, but no, I mean, you know, like 
despite that and despite joking, like I don't have anything that like I'm trying to accomplish by, by being here. I just, I enjoy talking with you and, and talking about the outdoors and things that we're passionate about and, you know, seeing that excitement and, and somebody else, it's, it's fun. So, yeah. um, yeah, I guess my biggest thing and like in leaving, um, would just be that if, first of all, if, if somebody is a hunter, you know, hopefully they enjoyed this, but you know, if there's people that listen to this that aren't hunters, um, I'd encourage them to either get to know somebody or, you know, take an opportunity. If, if somebody says, Hey, you want to go hunt with me? Take the opportunity and go do it because, you know, our, our natural resources are, are truly one of our greatest resources and, uh, you know, being able to go out and enjoy them is, is a privilege and, and it's, it's really awesome to be able to go do that. So see if you got a, a chance to do it and, Take advantage of it. Awesome. Awesome, awesome. Uh, thank you so much. And I should have had you on sooner. Like, I was telling you before. <laughs> because, like, uh, there has... Like, <laughs> there's been a couple times where Jacob has said, you should really have so-and-so on your uh, podcast. And I'll reach out to them. And I'm like, yeah. And I make them like super nervous or they're like blindsided or something or they're like, what, really? And I'm like, yeah, I'd love to have you in my podcast. And I was uh, like, not, I don't know, I guess not building them up and getting to know them enough and get to know them enough ahead of time. And I was like really excited to ask you and talk to you, but I, I, I was like kind of afraid you would say no at first, I think. <laughs> so, uh, I get it. Yeah. I get it. Um, and like Jacob really like was building you up, you know, on top of like, I already knew I wanted to have you on the podcast and I think it just made me more nervous. Yeah. He's the biggest reason. (laughs) Yeah. See, that's my biggest, my biggest regret in not doing this a year earlier is now I've got to live up to a year's worth of Jacob's hype and expectations (laughs) that he's built up with you. Like I I can't win. So, (laughs) well, I think it's been, I think it's been. I, I took a lot of notes. I, I really actually looking back, I really wish that um, I do take little notes of every podcast I've ever had just for like ideas of kind of when I put the podcast together, um, what to call the episode, all those things and just little notes that I get from everybody. And I like to look back on them. But I wish that I would have done that in the beginning of my podcast way more thoroughly because I cannot I have learned so much from every person I've had on the podcast or um, on top of learning new things, like it's reiterated things for me, like can, can constantly confirms like this is what I love to do. Um, you know, it, it weirdly advice I get from the guests typically coincides with something I have personally going on in my life as well. So that's interesting. Um, yeah. And so it's just been, it's just been so awesome. Uh, because I, I, I made like a lot of notes to myself, just like nuggets of wisdom relating to the industry and just life and hunting in general. Uh, so I really appreciate uh, your time and, and, and everything about this episode today. And I definitely hope we like stay in touch and have another episode. But um, thank yeah, you. Yeah, absolutely. I really yeah, and I think it's always tough, like, the first time you, I mean, basically, like, we're getting to know each other via a podcast, yes. so, like, you can ask a million questions, right? But, like, I think moving forward, you know, if you have, like, specific things, like, I mean, 
always feel free to call. You know, I'm, I'm always more than willing to talk about stuff and I'm not afraid to share my ideas. Like, I don't think I'm right. <laughs> I just, I believe in what I'm saying, but like, that doesn't mean that my way is the way to do it or my thought is the way to do it. So like, I'm not afraid to put myself out there with something that somebody might say like, well, that's not really right. Like you can't do things that way. Well, it's the way I do things. So <laughs> like it, love it, hate it, whatever. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I'm always willing to, to share my opinion. Um, but no, I, I, I really enjoyed it. And, okay. you know, I think, I do think like, I know you're trying to wrap things up, but like, <laughs> I think if, if you ever have questions or like, if you ever feel the need for, um, you know, having a more, like a more in-depth conversation about like the hunting industry and, you know, how to get started in it or, you know, what it's really like, like, I'm not, I mean, I'll be honest with you. Like I basically, I hunt and I film, like I don't handle any of the production. Like we work with a production company. I don't handle any of the contracts. Like that's Don and Candy's thing. Like they make this thing work. I just provide content, but you know, I've been around some people and, um, you know, seen some things. And I just think that there's a lot of misperceptions about the hunting industry, good, bad, and indifferent. And, uh, I think it's, um, yeah, something that's worth talking about. So, yeah, absolutely. And I, yeah, I appreciate that. And just being upfront and yourself and, and sharing that, like, that's what I want. Like I, 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 a lot of, uh, how I choose my guests actually too, like who I really hope for in the list and like who I reach out to. I, I want every guest to be a little bit different than the last one. Um, and I want to hear like their opinions and experiences, um, even if they are greatly different than my own, right? Like I, I want that yeah. because I learn and get better that way. Um, it gives me just like, I want to be a part of this industry, both like from a hunt, just hunting on my own, my perspective. And also just, I want, I want to have a part in making it better and like changing the narrative yeah. and, um, and, and having it reach more people because I, gosh, I go on this like super long tangent about that, but, uh, you know, the hunting industry, the numbers of hunters is, is still, is still on a decline. Um, and, but the, the segment that's growing the most is women and it, it is in the outdoor industry is women. Um, but women still only make up 10% of the whole industry as a whole. So when the lo largest growing yeah. demographic is such a small percentage and the, the amount of hunters is, is, is on a decline because there's people coming into it, but there's just as many people, you know, literally, you know, passing away, getting out of it, these older generations, um, yeah. that, that matters to me, you know? So I want to hear like the people who are doing it every day, the thing, like I want to hear what they're going through and what they're learning along the way, even if I don't agree with it. So I appreciate, sure. uh, like just showing up and being real and sharing your experience. And like you said, we we're getting to know each other through this podcast. So there's so many things that I felt like I could have asked you more about with, um, just how, like how you grew up with, with, with football, you know, with, um, with being a father, like with the show. Yeah. And I feel like we just skimmed a little bit of everything. And so I definitely yeah. <laughs> want to dig deeper sometime. Uh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. I'm sure. Yeah. You'll have more questions or I'll have more things that I think that I should have said. And we'll just, yeah, we'll just have to stay in touch and see where it goes. Yeah. But thank you so much. And, uh, I'll definitely add uh, some information in there about like whitetail freaks and how people can find find 
find you guys if, if you're not familiar. Is there anything else I should share with people to follow you or to check out at all? Um, no, no, okay. I mean, that's fine. <laughs> if you want to tag me, tag me, but yeah, I mean, whatever. It's whatever you want to do, whatever you think is best. Yeah. So. yeah. Awesome. Yep. Well, thank you so much and uh, appreciate it. Absolutely. Yeah. Anytime. All right. Well, have an awesome day. All right. <laughs> Thank you, too. We'll see you soon. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you, Woody, so much for being on the show. It was so awesome to get to know you. And I just took down so many notes and things to think about. And I've learned from you already and just, like, perspective. Like, I appreciate you showing up and just being honest and real and great. So thank you so much for being here. And everybody, check out the show notes. Uh, give Whitetail Freaks a follow and leave Woods and Waters Project a review. I appreciate it so very much. Even some short, sweet words. It doesn't have to be crazy. Um, it helps so much to get reach out there. And I want to keep giving you awesome guests like Woody. And reviews help a ton. So let's keep this going. I appreciate you all so much. Until next time. <laughs>